0: You're listening to the in Dutchman Podcast, and I'm your host, Dutch. On this episode, we interview Taylor Fox, a former F-16, F-22 pilot. And if you think you have to be an Academy graduate to get a pilot slot, well, that's not necessarily true. And if you think you have to go to the Air Force ROTC, that's not necessarily true. Today, in this episode from Taylor Fox, we're going to learn... Another avenue to secure yourself in the airframe of your choice. There's a lot of prep work, but well worth it. Let's begin the show. Good afternoon, good day, wherever you are. I want to welcome you to the Flying Dutchman podcast. Episode one As a matter of fact. So you'll have nothing but perfection from this moment forward. And I want to welcome. I want to welcome our guest today, Taylor Fox. He is a former F-16 driver, F-22, a current Delta pilot. And uh, we'll get to that all in a quick jiffy. But first off, we want to talk about uh, Mr. Taylor. About you. Where'd you grow up? What were your influences in life? And tell us a little bit about
1: that. Dutch, I, uh, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, spent from basically zero to 22 there. I Went to the University of Missouri. Uh, I was a big golfer basketball player, but then in the uh, beginning of high school, uh, or so, my grandpa has always been an influence. He's uh, he flew the F 86 for the Air Force in the 50s, nice. and I just grew up flying airplanes. He had an old steerman, he rebuilt himself three different times. And, uh, he taught me how to fly starting at age 11, but uh, then I started getting my licenses very young and my life kind of oriented in the aviation direction, uh, from a, from a very young age.
0: So he had a steerman. That's, that's exceptional. What paint scheme was that steerman in?
1: It was the Navy, uh, yellow and, and then blue, I guess, uh, it is, but, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful airplane and, uh, it's, it's become a symbol of our family uh, and people have known it has been our family for 40 or 50 years by now
0: wow wow so people mm. will see this yellow steerman and they would know hey that's the fox family steerman you got choose. That's right. Things. Yeah. He's
1: from a small town in Missouri. And, uh, you know, he would do that. He'd do an air show for the 4th of July, every 4th of July, but it's a town of, I think, 8,000 people or so. And uh-huh. I mean, he's, he's been such an influence and an icon in that town that they named the you know, the airport is now Fox field, uh, named after him. And it's got a monument with with his name on it and everything for his contributions. Uh, and uh, he's still with us, 90, 91, 92 years old. Uh, but, wow. uh, uh, that's legacy he's leaving behind there. Yeah. Is,
0: is, that is a nice legacy. That is a very nice legacy. And you were for, and he had a, he had a Sturman and he had what else?
1: Oh, a myriad of airplanes along the way. Oh, he also okay. started a flight department for a, a businessman that was very successful in that hometown and was flying corporate jets. So I got to kind of start tagging along flying right seat in corporate jets when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And uh, just a real nice opportunity that I stumbled into.
0: Yeah, that is a very nice opportunity. And um, that was the corporate jet. Did it operate out of Foxfield?
1: It did, yeah. And this is, we're talking about Monette, Missouri. Um, uh, And uh, yeah, there was a fleet of four, five, six of them uh, that we would fly out of there. It was 5,000 feet. So it was a shortish runway, but uh, enough for a citation. Uh Uh, Where we flew out of, yeah.
0: Well, that's pretty exciting. So you're 16 years old, you're in high school. And you worked on a private pilot's license?
1: Yep. Yeah. I was one of those guys that, you know, on my birthday, my 17th birthday, I got the first legal moment I could. I got my private, uh, you know, solo when I was 16 and then commercial right when I turned 18, that kind of stuff. Uh, and before going off to college.
0: Oh, interesting. It had, you probably were able to get some hours. And now, did you solo at any time with the steerman?
1: Yeah, about I sold a 152 uh, when I was 16, and about uh-huh. a week and a half later. I mean, the Stearman, the steerman I sold it. Yeah, like I said, a week and a half later, it's much more difficult to fly, uh, a magnitude of probably 10, especially mm-hmm. to land. You know, you can't see over the front; uh, it's unforgiving. Any crab or crosswind, or uh, so uh, I was a lot. I was a lot prouder of that solo, even though it wasn't my first airplane solo, because uh, that plane, you you earn it when you uh, land that one safely.
0: And a tail draggers could be especially challenging. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. You can't land in any crab. And the fact that you can't see over the dashboard uh, makes that one even harder to see any drift or uh,
0: wow. angle when you're
1: coming to land there. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a testament to your grandfather's confidence in your flying ability to let you take that.
1: Right, right, right. right. And, uh,
0: what, what Were those referred to as the yellow peril in the Navy training set? Were yeah, I've,
1: I've seen that before. Yeah. Yeah
0: that um now uh i guess we up front we could mention that um you're also an author of a book that uh, i have a copy of that i read and so i got a little insights that our audience is going to become privy to and i made me some notes so if i look off to the left i maybe that's bad for podcasting i don't know but what are youps
1: Oops. Yeah, no, that was just a youps? funny way to kick things off. They're, they're just loops, but uh, the three-year-old Taylor couldn't uh, pronounce the L's. So uh, I just called them oops. Uh, but I was definitely mortified for the first 11 years of my life that my grandpa was going <laughs> to flip that plane upside down. Uh, and then at some point, I remember distinctly, I was 11 and the switch flipped and this definitely, I couldn't get on roller coasters. I couldn't get on airplanes with my grandpa because I thought he was going to trick me yeah uh, and then that switched and I went full the opposite way I wanted to only do loops and became a fighter pilot and the whole works so wow. uh, yeah,
0: yeah well that is totally cool um and and what's interesting when I'm reading the book is that I I always was under the impression that hey if you want to be a fighter pilot you got to be a, a let's speak in Air Force is you got go to go the Air Force Academy you got to score high you have to have an aeronautical degree. And then you might get accepted and you still have to compete, but you, you learned a different way to get a seat and a guaranteed seat. If you passed all those challenges that are before you to get that far, what did you do? Yeah. I mean, it it is a loophole
1: in the system to become a a military aviator or a fighter pilot that, that most guys don't know. And even when I was in the air force pilot training program, all the guys are active duty, generally, we shocked to find out this loophole existed. Um, but basically, I mean, you got to you gotta do some legwork up front. You've got to have your college degree. you got to have your pilot's license. But then there's this Air National Guard and the Air Force Reserves that can hire people off the street. And so I showed up in a suit and tie uh, as a civilian. I was a college kid getting a finance degree, completely un- unrelated. And, um, you know, if that unit flies f-16 fighter jets and you apply to be a pilot there the odds of you getting accepted are lower than if you you know go the rotc route um something like that uh but once you are accepted you have an f-16 spot and as long as you can pass pilot training with the you know fighter qualification which you know uh the hardest part is getting in the door uh i mean you got to work hard the whole time in pilot training as well but once you have that spot have a guaranteed fighter spot whereas the active duty guys the guys that went to the air force academy or rotc once they got to pilot training or undergraduate pilot training they still had to compete against their other other uh, guys they're flying with Uh, in addition to just the needs of the air force sometimes the air force doesn't they overstaff fighter pilots and so you could be the top guy in your class and not get a fighter jet and some classes you might be the worst guy in the class and get a fighter jet so um, you eliminate a lot of variables by going the air national guard route Granted. I paid for college, you know, you still have to do well in college, they want you to have good grades. Uh there's mm-hmm. some admin, you got to rush the units, you know, be likable and then approach them and buy them beer, uh theoretically, but uh, uh that's typically how it goes.
0: Well, it so happens. I'm starting a fighter squadron so I invite anybody out there to bring me beer and I'll guarantee that's... you a slot in this F16 right here. Oh yeah. But uh <laughs> so let, let, let's expand on that a little bit is that you you have to approach the fighter squadron does not like where I'm at south of us in Fresno, they fly the Eagle. That's a National Guard unit there. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: so you have to actually solicit a squadron. They don't look for you. You have right. to look for them. What is yeah. that like? It's very difficult.
1: It was, it was very difficult 15 years ago when I was doing it. Um, I, I assume it's gotten a little easier, but I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a supply and demand issue, right? Like there's a lot of people that want to be fighter pilots. And so they typically would have hundred, 150 people in, in South Dakota, at least where I got hired, uh, apply for one or two spots. So the odds of hiring are not great. Um, but, uh, it's a supply and demand issue. So I, you know, I'm in an Excel spreadsheet of every fighter unit in the country. I didn't care where it was. I didn't, at that time, I didn't know the difference between a general and a sergeant. Uh, so I was just very green and, uh, but I just kept calling and saying, Hey, uh, I really like to fly fighter jets at your, or, you know, the F sixteen at your unit When's your hiring board. They usually have, they hire one or two of us, uh, you know, off the civilian street folks a year. Most units do. Um, and so you find out when they do that every year and you start applying and and, uh, it's a, it's a cumbersome process, but of all the people I know that have gone through it, if people were truly committed and dedicated to flying fighter jets and kept applying, everyone I know eventually got a spot somewhere. It might've taken a couple of years. It might've taken 10 interviews, uh, mm-hmm. but everyone I know ended up getting that, uh, from my experience.
0: Wow. That's something that, yeah. you know, I, I, I could imagine right now that, uh, some people that might be watching this are going, oh my gosh, I was unaware. But yeah, um, not 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 to throw a shade on you, but um, you are also not accepted by some of the places you apply for because it's That's not right. a
1: guarantee. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's um, you know, it's a hundred hundred to one hundred fifty people usually apply for one or two three spots a year, so mm-hmm. it's a tough you know road. But but uh, you know, a lot of those people are probably not qualified in some form uh, mm-hmm. to the get go, so that eliminates a lot of them. Uh, but you know, at the same time too, like that, the, you know, Alabama passed me up. Um, and you know, I, I remember feeling very down and dejected. I was like, what else could my resume look like? You know, I, I worked very hard. Um, my, mm-hmm. my grades were pretty good. I had a ton of flying experience, flying formation, aerobatics, like what more could they want out of a 22 year old kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, they, they hired a couple of great guys. I'm still friends with both of them to this day, actually. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them one of my best friends. And, uh, you know, one of them especially, he didn't have much flying experience, but he was prior enlisted in that unit. So, you know, it's um, I can talk as much as I want about how much I want to be a fighter pilot. But if that guy has signed up for their unit, he's worked on F-16s, he's, you know, he's um, he's proven himself with action. That's worth a lot of weight. You know, I, I might have been a better looking resume. I don't know if I was or not. But uh, the fact that he had shown up and swore into the military and already put his time in, you uh, was worth a lot to them, you know, dedication, uh, and, and it goes a long ways when you're hiring mm-hmm. somebody.
0: So, so you did get accepted by a squadron. The yep. Lobos. That's right. South Dakota national guard.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's a, a, a handsome, um, I like the, uh, markings on the tail. It's that's so right. Yeah it's, yeah. it's very, fun. yeah. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Markings, cool patch. Yeah. So you were accepted now, you have to get your slot for undergraduate pilot training. Is that where you would go next?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of security vetting. Then they take you to officer training school, you know, where you get yelled at and, and, uh, you know, get through your, unfortunately I I didn't have to go to boot camp. You kind of get to skip that uh, as you're already in a rated position as an officer, but Mm -hmm. you go to that and then you go to officer uh, or uh, sorry, undergraduate pilot training for 13 months or so. Where was that at? mine was at shepherd air force base in texas which uh, is the is famously the Injet program which stands for euro nato joint jet pilot training i think yeah uh, so we had we had italians in our class there were germans uh, in classes nearby you know, and mm-hmm. norwegians uh probably missing a few countries out but typically yeah. the fighter track but uh, a lot of foreigners there which was a lot of fun
0: that that would be a lot of fun and and, and that would make Another reason for Shepherd to be desirable is mm-hmm. um especially potlucks must have been really interesting.
1: The Germans put on a great Oktoberfest every year. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I yeah, bet. Yeah. Do
0: you ever uh stay in touch to um with any of yeah, those- I- gentlemen or ladies that that were? Yeah, I've
1: got, uh, oh man, I've I've got a couple Germans that were my Mm -hmm. instructors uh, that I talk about in the book a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I see them almost, I'd say annually. Um, I I travel a lot. I'm a Delta pilot now. So I fly over that part of the world and my sister lives in Italy. So I'm over there all the time and I run into them. Uh, There's an Italian named Cheech that I reference a lot in my book. Uh, He's a recent father as of this year, Um, but I see him all the time. So uh, yeah, there's about seven or eight of them of the the Italians or Germans that I stay in touch with loosely.
0: You know, it's it's a special bond that's formed when you guys go through that and experience right. and
1: struggle and and and
0: help each other. And um you do reference Cheech in the book. I mm-hmm. um was I uh I'm a little forgetful here was Cheech the call sign or was Cheech a play on his name? It was just easier to say Cheech than Cheech.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His name is Francesco and Cheech is like, uh, you know, the abbreviated version that Italians use for Francesco. Um, oh. you know, just like oh. a William and Bill kind of situation, uh, Francesco mm-hmm. and Cheech, Cheecho, I think is actually what it is, but we just call him Cheech for short.
0: What did yeah. Cheech end up? What, what airframe did he end up getting? Uh, he got the
1: tornado. Ooh. Yeah. The Italians. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. They're gonna, I think they're, yeah, they might be driving the tornadoes a little bit longer, but not as long as it turns. or Right. 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 The um, now you you arrive at Shepard. Now that at this time, the T 37 has already been replaced, correct? Correct. So you got the Texan 2, the T 6 Texan 2.
1: Yeah, what was your impression? I loved it so much. Uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it's essentially like a World War II fighter, you know, horsepower comparison wise. Mm -hmm. Um, but man, just from flying all the planes I flew as a kid, you know, did some aerobatics and stuff like that just the power and it was uh you know bubble bubble canopy was awesome and then you know finally putting on the uniform and mask and and it was it was a great time
0: so uh stepping to the aircraft was probably pretty cool at that point with your flight suit on and uh um, yeah you guys have the opportunity to design your own squadron patch training squadron right. patch.
1: yeah yeah each so, class does their own it, ours it was, ours was at a time in the air force when uh I, can't, I remember that, you know, every, we typically wear those tan shirts. And then on Fridays, you get to wear a color colored shirt. And we're right when we, we got in the pilot training, they, they banned the Friday colored shirt uh, as a hit on morale. And so our, our patch was a, a fight against that. And so we made our Friday patch, a colored shirt, uh, that we would then put on and, and put little patches on it. And it was, uh, Nice. Yeah. Push you know, back this man.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 um, Oh, I want to say to that uh, same string is that no matter how many times they try and, and by they, I mean, you know, whether it be politically correct or just, you know, uh, whatever is the, the the pushback is always, they can never outsmart the pushback, no matter what rule uh, comes uh, down there. And regardless of the branch, the, the pushback uh, is pretty clever and they never see it coming. Um, but Fly in the T6. H- how many hours did you have to put in
1: before you progressed from that? Roughly 120 hours, 130 hours, I think we got in the T6 back then. I know they're cutting that down every year as simulators get better and money gets tighter, but uh, I know that's mm-hmm. what we got. Mm-hmm.
0: And the simulators do get better, don't they?
1: Yeah, 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 they're pretty good. Yeah. Do,
0: do you think there'll ever be a time where maybe the simulator is? overkill They're, they need to really get some stick time in the air in the three-dimensional or
1: yeah i mean i will say the simulators were good in the air force the the simulators i fly for delta are shockingly good like you you know the thing isn't moving but as you're moving down the runway mm-hmm. it feels like you're accelerating somehow you know because the thing is like tipping back and it's bouncing off of simulated uh, cracks in the in the runway. You know, the Air Force simulators, none of them moved. At least in, in the fighter world, none of them move. They're just stationary. They just sit there, and the, you're in a dome with you know visuals all around you. Uh, so you know, uh, I will say, you know, at Delta they replace landings. You know, I, in fact, I just went to landing recurrency sim this week, where you know uh, that was my three takeoff and landings for the ninety days, and that's good enough. You know, because they it's real enough. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it never feels the same, right? The right. the heart rate uh increasing, you know, and emergencies are happening, that really matters when oh. um your 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 pink butt's not sim or the <laughs> yeah. plan <to> not
0: the <laughs> right, right. A lot of Martin Baker's getting sucked up along with these twos. Right. But uh
2: right.
0: yeah and and uh, I just uh I'm losing my train of thought but um oh forgive me for that so anyway going from the T six did, um you would transfer over to the T38 That's right. Is that the, and and which is on the verge of being replaced. Uh but in the T38 did you also train at Shepherd?
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, the we there. Yeah.
0: You just yeah. moved over to a new building and, right. now, and now things are going to happen a little faster in the jet.
1: Yep.
0: And the uh T38 is a challenge and it's a challenge in the landing pattern because of a stall characteristics or something. It's something to be aware of. What exactly is that?
1: Yeah. You know, you're, uh, you're making me reflect back on about 13, 12 years ago. Uh, But uh, you know, it's just, you're in a fighter pattern. You are, I think we were 45, 60 degrees of bank around the final turn. You know, you want to keep it as close to the airport as you could. Mm-hmm. and uh you're wrapping around the final turn and i don't remember what the aoa is but you know if,
2: uh, all airplanes have an
1: aoa at which they stall uh the that's angle of yeah. attack that's right thank you uh uh-huh. the f-22 the f-22 can do a little magic past that aoa um, <laughs> with its thrust vectoring but you know most airplanes there's an aoa uh, angle of attack at which it'll stall and i know we were just flying it very closely to that angle of attack and so if you were to accidentally exceed it and you can do that by either pulling back on the stick too hard or getting slow, um, you know, it could stall and in that plane, depending on how that plane was bent, you know, those things are 50, 60 years old. It might snap off one direction. You know, if a wing stalls first, it might roll in a direction. And if you're thousand feet above the ground, that might not be enough time to recover. So that was the, that was the fear they ingrained into our brains to not, not exceed that amount.
0: When, when you say the jet is bent, is that a is that just like a, a slang or are we actually talking about a twist in the airframe or a bit that, yeah. that airflow will actually be affected?
1: Yeah. Every, 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 especially a plane that's 60 years old, especially a plane that has been max performed, you know, in a lot of regimes doing high G maneuvers, uh, you know, metal fatigues. And if a kid uh, snaps on the stick and it uh, or pulls the stick back really aggressively and over G's it, you know, it might slightly bend the, bend the plane a little bit. You know, when we would, wow. after that, after that training, we would go on to IFF introduction to final fundamentals. And those planes again, are constantly at the max rate, max G force for our turns. Cause you're dog fighting. So you're trying to get every, every degree per second out of those turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, those planes you could feel, them. you could be like, Oh yeah, that's that one that kind of rolls to the left when you get the high G's. Cause it's, you know, literally bent. Okay.
0: Um, would you recognize uh, it by the tail number?
1: Oh yeah yeah like yeah. yeah. I, we had um, nick, nicknames for them all kinds of stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah.
0: What 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 were the instructor pilots like? Were they uh um, you you had German instructor pilots, you had Italian instructor pilots.
1: Yeah. You know, everyone's different uh they are. but um you know I, you know, i would you know some of the german instructor pilots were my favorite ones actually mm-hmm. my favorite instructor in all of upt was a german guy mm-hmm. a very soft spoken nice empathetic guy uh, which is you know not the german stereotype uh, mm-hmm. we had a different one that was more of the german stereotype which was just very hard like this is the way it is i don't want to hear anything else uh, mm-hmm. no excuses like the law so uh, you know everyone was different but
0: uh, and, and I maybe I phrased it wrong but but yeah everybody is different but it was interesting is that just, just because you're an american student doesn't mean you're going to get an american instructor right. um, what, uh what while reading the book and I'm sorry if I keep going back to that but it was it was a very good insight into what goes on is that there were times where you did not agree with something and you respectfully pushed back um and, and provided your your reasoning your logic why right and then there are times where it's best you just professionally don't say nothing
2: right and right let,
0: and let it go and, and there's life lessons in this book that don't you don't have to be in the military you don't have to be an aviator to pick up on some of those key things in the business world and 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 i get it yeah well. i mean there are
1: there even even in the air force or even everywhere there's there's People who are better instructors than others, right? Or better mm-hmm. teachers than others. Uh, and mm-hmm. once I became an instructor in the F twenty two, and lo- went through that process of how to become a good instructor, you know, some of it really, really illuminates. And I, I don't know what's exactly. You know, I haven't read my book in, in almost seven, eight years. But like, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm thinking of the stories you're maybe telling me, one of the first things I was taught, you know, when you're, you when you're seeking to influence, when you're seeking to teach as an instructor. You need to seek to understand where they're coming from like why did why did the student do whatever they're doing and so if you're usually you generally start by asking questions you know did you see the airplane do this why did you do this you know what, what was your game plan if you're an instructor that's just like hey you screwed this up this is the way it goes you're probably going to miss the mark you need to seek to understand where they're coming from and in 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 case of pilot training you know I, I don't mean this to be arrogant at all but some of those Guys were first assignment instructors where they flew for you know 250 hours in pilot training, and now they were given an instructor assignment. So now they're an instructor with 250 hours in, the, in an airplane. Whereas I came into pilot training with 1500 hours, mm-hmm. which I'm not saying it was as good of flying as the instructors, but I probably had better, more experience with weather, for example. You know, I dealt with thunderstorms and flying around weather, and could see things uh, mm-hmm. that, that I could teach them and. That one German instructor, you know, I a couple times was teaching him about weather, and he wasn't too arrogant to be like, "Hey, I'm your instructor; you shouldn't be teaching me anything." No, he he understood and recognized strengths and weaknesses, and I thought, mm-hmm. I I, mean, I respect that guy more than anybody. And then it, tr- and then it, you then trusted him, right? If he's if he's willing to seek the truth, not a hierarchy and an authoritarianism, um, now I'm gonna really trust what you say when you tell me you you this something should be this way. You know, you, you really get on board with a, a human like that
0: definite reciprocal relationship right right what um what one of the things that that as a civilian pilot that crosses over to your military flying um was fuel awareness (laughs) is that that you fuel is money and especially when you're a civilian pilot and and, um i picked up on i i had no idea how, how to relate pounds to range and throttle settings and altitude and and where you could you know get up high if you're low on fuel and then just coast back down or you know you you're flying over washington dc and you got seven thousand pounds and you're okay because you can make it all the way back to luke arizona near phoenix
2: right
0: and these big war games that that are across states on some Mm. of these uh and yeah Mm. I, i i really didn't know those level of detail but um your uh being a civilian pilot first and and being aware of fuel and then the cost associated with it, uh, was an easy migration for you flying in the military. Um, one, one we're going to get to is air refueling. But before we go there is, um, you're, you're advancing along in the T-38. You're, uh, brought up a term referred to as hooked. Hooked means that you did not qualify in, in a profile, a flight profile of some sort. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. It means failed. I think okay. it kind of comes from like a, you get a U uh, kind of looks like actually, I'm not sure what the oh, exit stage like, left, like a hook kind of uh, like a, yeah, it's an unsatisfactory on that flight.
0: Oh, okay. You're,
1: you're going to get to do it again.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and um, even though you, you, you start out with the class of 12, 11, nine, whatever, and you've gone through the T6 you have the 120 hours or whatever the hours were for the T6 now you're flying the T38 uh supersonic jet you could still be disqualified and and, and terminated from the training program and that that has happened you've seen that happen
1: yeah and, and yeah they usually said about 10% of every class attrits a as, uh-huh. as an average number yeah Mm. At least back then, that, that and I think in our class, hard I mean, it, it it happened three or four weeks prior to graduation after a 13 month program. You know, they're just I, I don't know what the I, I wasn't an instructor in that environment. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's like, but you know, as an instructor later on in the F 22, you know, there just comes a point where it is a dangerous business. It requires, um, you know, a certain level of preparation, performance, uh, aptitude, and mm-hmm. if multiple repeated usually their safety related events, uh, are going to drive a, a, a hook. You know, if it's mm-hmm. something that could get you or somebody else killed, um, you're gonna have to see that one again. And if you had to see it so many times again, then no more, but.
0: Right. And, and I, yeah, uh, yeah you, you guys are graded on almost everything, every aspect including your attitudes. And when you have an individual that, that is, are hooking rides, but they have an excuse for everything except for ownership of the mistake that mm-hmm. stands out to an instructor and to instructors. And if this person, not that think excuses, but if somebody continues to hook a ride, their last evaluation is with the squadron commander or, or is with the wing or, or a higher yeah, ranking. So someone entity. who you
1: we'll have,
2: have
1: yeah.
0: the last word on yeah. that and, and do they go to a right, non ejection right. seat aircraft after that, since so much has already been invested in, in flying? Or I, I think that's yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's typically
1: the answer. I think it depends a little bit on what the you know the uh, problems are. Is it okay. you know uh, uh, more in the like high performance problems of uh, you know not pulling up G's, doing all that kind of stuff, but can land and take the plane off safely? Great. If it's more of like that kind of an issue, an admin related issue. Taking off landing, just navigating. If that's too much, then then maybe not. But I think they took everything on a case by case basis.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Because I, I would, if, yeah. if it were, to be, that'd be a hard pill to swallow for anybody. But if they said, but so you can fly a thing without an injection seat, I'd still be going, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah. yeah all right, that,
0: right, right. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, stepping to the jets. We're stepping up to the T 38. This is going to be your first flight. Was your first flight an afterburner takeoff? Is every. Flight and afterburner takeoff in the
1: 38? I believe every, if I remember correctly, every flight is an afterburner takeoff. The what T-38. was that like? Yeah.
0: You've you've flown, you've yeah. got hours, civilian time. Now you've been flying, you know, the T28. Now you're in for the for the North Swift T38, as old as it is, it's a sexy jet. And um right, right. With uh the afterburner takeoff, that's your first experience. What was that like? If you remember or not, I don't know, but I just think that that.
1: Yeah, it,
0: it is not compared to a 16 or 22, but yeah, it's it was something aftermath. I was.
1: Right. Yeah, that was a moment I remember I was looking forward to for a very long time. Um, and I, I, the one thing I, I, I'm i trying to remember what that moment really did feel like, I remember as it was rolling down the road, I'm being like, yes, like my like a crescendo of excitement is you know, the afterburner, you could feel them kick in because they, they wouldn't kick in at the same time. It'd be like one, and the other. Uh, and you'd slowly keep moving down the runway. Um, I will say, I remember I looked down right as we were cleared for takeoff. Uh, and I looked down and none of my seatbelts were hooked up. And I remember being in a panic. I've got an instructor behind me. You know, I'm getting graded, right? Like I, I need to perform. And I just remember being like very stressed and anxious and annoyed uh, and uh, trying to get myself all put together. Um uh, in that moment. So that was, uh, I, that one, I lost a little excitement from that after take takeoff. I remember my F-16 one better, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but no, you, I mean, they're, you, they're cool. Uh,
0: you weren't strapped in at, at what level were you strapped in?
1: If I remember correctly, there's one single point harness that, you know, both shoulder straps come in, both leg straps come in, there might even, and I think that had been undone. Lord knows how it happened. Uh, I'm sure I did it and just bumped it, or who knows? Maybe I never did it in the first place because I was so excited to have my first afterburner takeoff. But I remember I looked down and thought, "Oh shit!" And
0: uh, excuse me, but but, uh, because I, I, I'm when I when I see somebody stepping in the jet, there's a crew chief with them. They get inside the cockpit, and the crew chief is in there handing them straps and assisting with hooking things up. So when you're flying the T-38, you did not require a crew chief to do that for you then, or to be there with you
1: in that process. I'm sure on my first flight someone helped me to make sure I did it right. I, uh-huh. To this day, I have no idea what what had happened on that flight, but uh
0: I'm glad you caught it. Uh, and your instructor was none it, the wiser, huh? And your instructor none was the, none the wiser.
1: As long as he right. I just yeah. didn't want to get a downgrade on my grades. So,
0: was You happening. scored yeah. you scored fairly well throughout your training. You had you had a few bumps and stuff, but you, you Yeah, I mean, it, it done well up to this point
1: yeah i mean i I had a nice head start with civilian flying you know i I had a leg up on a lot of guys with uh flying experience and then i just had this uh more than any point in my life a passion and i've noticed this about a lot of projects i've done in my life since where i just yeah if it works out if it works out great like this book for example like it was fun to write and and it was easy to do um Mm But if, if it comes together, fine. If it doesn't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be a fighter pilot with every fiber in my body to the exclusion of going out on the weekends during pilot training. But I was going to, it wasn't going to be because of preparation that I was not going to uh, do well in that class. So, um, yeah, I was, I've never been more dedicated to anything in my life, which, um, which worked out well
0: for pilot training at least. It, yeah. it, it very much did work out well because you, you achieved your dreams. So, so we are now at IFF, in, uh, introduction to fighter fundamentals in the F6 in the F or T38. I'm sorry, the T38. Yeah. And you get to graduate now and you are getting orders to report to Luke Air Force Base, Arizona for F-16 training. And you got to call your, your pop, you got to call your granddad and tell him this, didn't you?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I called him on probably about every other flight all through pilot training. He was, yeah. he was living, he was, he was right next to me the whole way, essentially uh, hearing all those mm-hmm. stories. But yeah, I, the whole point had been to fly a fighter jet by myself for one time. And I was like the goal uh, of, of everything. So uh, I was, I was ecstatic during that phase of my life for sure. Uh, but so much stress and anticipation too.
0: I, I bet i bet and um again you, you have a good circle of family around you and, and that stands out reading your book and um uh, there's a, a photograph uh, of some of your family members and, and i'm getting ahead of the story here where they were all standing on the wing of an f-16 when they come to visit mm-hmm. you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool so you yeah. report to, you report to luke And there is a high level expectation from the instructors that you guys will do this right. And you are going to, now you are going to learn to be a warfighter. You are going to learn to be a fighter pilot and that your introduction would be walking up to a two seater F-16 for your first flight. And that the complications, the speeds, just every everything is you really got to be on your game with this and um did you find what you learned in the t6 to the t38 there's uh, there was some things that did not migrate into the training that prepared you for the f16 or do you feel it was a a, a proper transition
1: you know I've, I've got to compliment the air force i thought it was a a great transition you know it was um uh, every step got harder, every step got more complicated mm-hmm. from, you know, the T6 to the T38 and then the F-16 and even the F-16, you know, you didn't start start dropping bombs and shooting missiles on the first flight. You know, the first flight was very basic. Just go up, get a feel for the aircraft, aft, fly around, go supersonic, uh, do a GX, um, you know, uh, practice landings. So, uh, you know, there was never, uh, there were moments I was stressed and felt behind a little bit. But there was never a – I thought the Air Force did a great job of uh, slowly bringing you along and, and uh, having you prepared.
0: And uh, prior to reporting to Luke for the 16 training, we talked a little bit about the simulators that you uh, were trained in, and those were more procedural-type simulators. Were the F-16 simulators more immersive, or were, is, was it still kind of a procedural –
1: no they 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 could get with it pretty well they could link those simulators up you know with other simulators we could Mm -hmm. fly together we would you know the first probably 10 or 15 simulators were about emergencies and landing the airplane you know because you're gonna be by by yourself so Mm -hmm. you gotta pass an emergency simulator ride where an instructor you know throws all these emergencies at you it's it's a fun but stressful simulator ride where it's you know you're catching on fire you've got failures all kinds of stuff um, but then but then after that, everything just becomes tactical. There's like a, a distinct moment where once you are qualified to fly the F16 and you have mm-hmm. your driver's license, if you will,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, after that, it's mostly all tactics uh, and a little bit of remember how the emergencies go to. but then you know we're linking the simulators up and we're fighting two or four F16s versus you know eight bandits and uh, we're shooting at them. The simulator's got many towns in there that we're practicing dropping bombs on, you know, and stuff like that. so, uh, just comes into a, a child, you know, video game dream, basically, at that point.
0: Uh-huh. And, and yeah, the, you have instructors that are uh, teaching you how to fly the jet in the jet. They're number one in, in flight lead where they might be in the front seat and you're in the back seat. The instructors that run the simulators are not those same instructors, are they? Uh, sometimes, uh, generally the,
1: the emergency guys are, are usually retired fighter pilots, mm-hmm. uh, older guys that just want to keep staying, staying in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're the tactical simulators. It's usually a mix. Sometimes they have those guys, sometimes, but the important simulator rides, they always have a green bag, uh, a flight suit wearing current fighter pilot, uh, administer that test or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a mix. Wow. How many yeah.
0: hours, how many hours in Nav 16 training were you? honestly i have no things? idea
1: uh probably a 70 80 i'm guessing mm-hmm. i think the program was nine months when i went through it but um maybe it, not even
0: that uh, i'm gonna bring up this it, the f-16 is you are sitting here right that is a little pencil in front of you what it, what is it like to sit in the f-16 and have that canopy come down and I mean, the rail is is at your waist practically. You, yeah. What what sensation is that like?
1: It, it's an uh, it's un, it's uncomparable from every other jet I've sat in. Not even close. Even in the F twenty two. The visibility in the F sixteen is is amazing. You just feel like you're hanging on the tip of this spear. And uh, mm-hmm. it's basically just this. You know, the F sixteen not a big airplane really just got this one huge motor and you're just sitting out on the tip of the spear in front of it. Uh, and you can see everywhere. You can see, it's, it's, uh, honestly, the visibility is my favorite part about that airplane, is uh, what you're describing. Yeah. The F 22, the canopy rail, I don't know where it sits, but you know, it's a lot higher up. Yeah. So you, you're kind of more in, enclosed, but the F 22 feels like, or the F 16 feels like you're about to fall out on the ground or something. <laughs> you're, you're so far out there.
0: Yeah. That must've been some feeling to finally be by yourself in the F 16. Yeah. And yeah. stepping in the jet, taxiing out, holding short. Now it's your turn to line up and wait and light the burners. Now that sensation must have been incredible.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I wrote about in the book, but I dreamed I had dreams about that moment, uh taxiing onto the runway at Luke Air Force Base, seeing the mountains in the distance. Uh being on the tip of that spear and like pushing the throttle up, I, I dreamt about it and it motivated me for for years. And I always I had always had an exhale, uh-huh. and then um, um, and then I never took off in my dreams. But I found you know like when I was thinking about it, I never actually went through it. It's like yeah. it's like nope, you got to get to that point and then you can enjoy it. And, uh, well, fortunately, that day happened that, uh, and it was. But yeah,
0: that's pretty good because some people's dreams never take off. So you you yeah. certainly get yeah. something. And, um, so now your, your first night flight now to the, the rounded canopy did reflections. Did that play on situation or like disorientations, or is there any influence that that canopy had? from
1: yeah you would always see the screens reflecting you know you would always i think there was the the, the the monitor or the tv screen uh between your legs uh below the the main screen uh that one would always reflect so you'd always turn dim that one down because it would just create this like beam of light um so yeah you're always fighting with it a little bit Yep.
0: and um night vision goggles
2: mm-hmm. yeah mean well, they're great they're, they're cool
1: they're, yeah, they're cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would say in the, F, the F-22 I didn't use them nearly as much, you know, they're really heavy and they pull on your neck and mm. they're, they're really good. If you're in visual formations with other airplanes, you can see their uh, airplanes very well. Uh, in fact, the, the flashing lights, you can see them for hundreds of miles away, almost a problem. You know, you might be looking at the light and you don't know if it's five miles away or a hundred miles away. Um, but it's really great for looking at the ground too. Um, mm. Whereas the F-22, you don't usually fly in visual formation. So you're not looking at another airplane. We're generally not looking at the ground. We're usually only looking at enemy or, you know, we're only uh, up up where we're not uh, engaging and closer in range like the F-16 is. So I always had them with me in the F-22, but a lot of times you wouldn't wear them uh, unless you needed them.
0: That's an interesting point. And, and, and I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but in World War I, your wingman was a, a rock throw away from you in some cases. World War II, a little further out, Korea, you're higher, faster, a little further out. Um, you just said that you don't always see your wingman in the F twenty two. Did I? Does that mean that your spread is that great because the capability of this jet is that great? Is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, if you see him, it's like uh, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> in fact, wow. uh Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like calm that we have to do to say, hey, I see you, did you know you're this close to me? You're not supposed to be, uh, essentially. So, yeah, as as technology has progressed and uh, the data links between the airplanes has progressed, even the, I I think, even now, the F-16, F-15, their formations are getting more spread apart too. Um, As as, as a wingman, if you're close to another airplane, your number one priority is not hitting the other jet. And so you're not as tactically useful. If you're having to spend 50% of your time paying attention to the other airplane, you don't hit him that's 50% yeah. less time than you can be looking at your radar looking at your targeting pod uh thinking about tactics so uh, the less yeah. stress you have there the more more stress you can put on the enemy uh, there you the
0: are world. there you are and that's yeah. what we want we want to
1: put stress yeah. on the enemy that's right <laughs> yeah
0: um so you you've you've done night flights you've gone to gunnery you've done a lot of low level high speed flights Clicking along at 500 knots at at 500 feet off the ground, all these different profiles, mountain flying. The mountains are a little bit bigger. You've flown um, in all these exercises, and now, now it's it's you're graduating, and you're going to report to the South Dakota National Guard, the Lobos, the 175th. What squadron is that? I, I, That's right. It? 175th is. How were you? Because you're you're like the new guy. You're the yeah. the the lack of a better term. You're the FNG. And were you? Was it you and another individual that reported? Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and one, one other guy that went together the whole the whole training together? Yeah.
0: Oh, that is very cool. That's very cool. And and what was that like? Reporting to the the you you are a combat rated pilot. You are a war fighter at this point. You are a combat rated pilot that is now reporting to the Lobos. The one seventy fifth South Dakota Air National Guard. You are an F sixteen now. You had to have been like on cloud nine driving onto that place and reporting. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, it's been three three and a half years since I drove away from that place uh, to go become a fighter pilot. So it's been a long journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's probably like it's the whole fighter pilot culture and ethos is a humbling one. We make fun of each other all the time. We have mm-hmm. parties and tell stories on each other. Our all of our call signs are. It might sound cool-ish, but they're all degrading, um, uh, you know. And then so to have just graduated the F-16s uh, training, I remember the commander at that graduation said that we were fighter pilots. And that was the first time a fighter pilot had ever called me a fighter pilot. I remember that moment uh, vividly. You know, that was a, a very big moment for me. You know, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in this fraternity now. Um, but then, you know, you're also the lowest man on the totem pole. So you're mm-hmm. the... Uh, you know, you, you're in this culture where we make fun of. I'm going to be the worst pilot. Uh, me and the new guy are going to be the two worst pilots in that squadron for a while, at, at a minimum. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so it's like this: you're very high in life and cocky, but you're also very low and uh, humbled at the same time. Uh, so it's it's a funny, funny dynamic.
0: What uh, on on that uh, thread of funny, you are given a call sign in the squadron.
1: Yeah yeah well the the <laughs> Let's rule talk goes, about that yeah the rule goes that you're supposed to buy buy me a drink to hear the story so uh i guess each you and each listener can every time they see me i can get a drink but i'll I, uh i'll hear you
2: guys yeah uh,
0: we'll send you something from uh, sierra nevada up here north, just north of us <laughs> yeah yeah what is your call uh, sign sir
1: yeah so my call sign chop is an acronym um, oh those are good yeah most of them are uh, unless most call signs are an acronym unless the last name is like a, a natural uh, progression, you know, like, uh, like my last name is Fox. And mm-hmm. so you could call me like Megan, Megan Fox. Like that would have been a funny, you know, just play on my last name. But no, nope, mm-hmm. I got an acronym uh, and it comes from a bombing machine. So you get your call sign right after your mission qualified. So if, if, the, if we go to war. It's time to go uh, that's when they're gonna they're gonna give you your call sign is a couple months after that usually once you've been blessed with that um mine is from a a bombing mission we were going down to salina kansas to drop bombs so we had little bombs on our jet and uh, we're gonna go do target practice essentially and uh, i had to pee and uh so like i told you in the t-38 i had to unclip so yeah i unclipped all the seats so first you safe the seat so you don't accidentally eject yourself not strapped in so you save the seat, you turn the HUD off so that you remember that you've saved the seat and you've undone your uh, seat belts. And uh, they have give us a little bag with some chemical in it. And uh, mm-hmm. so there I am peeing. Uh, but remember that you're sitting down, the seat reclines 30 degrees. It's not an easy operation to go to the restroom uh, in an airplane uh, that you're sitting down. So I was midway going through that and everything's going fine. And um, there's a radio change frequency, uh, radio frequency change. And so I, I stopped myself peeing ragging uh and then i w- went up and uh and um changed the radio frequency but while i did i resumed peeing uncontrolled uh and so i peed all over that cockpit uh all over myself all over everything and uh so i, I did the whole mission came back landed and i just handed my secret hard drive off to my friend i was like i'm going home i'll be back in 45 minutes you know i gotta go take a shower uh and i had to clean the plane out uh, it was disgusting and uh so CHOP stands for can't handle own. I'll let you fill in the blank there. Keep it G-rated. <laughs> <laughs> can't
0: handle. That's so. good. That, and um, especially a tactical jet, especially an F-16, um, having to go pee can be a problem, especially if the uh, taxi out is a little delayed, taking off is pushed back and now you got to play catch up and you have to go pee even harder and just things happen and you can't go pee. And some, if it's a 1.5 flight, 1.1 hour and a half flight or so, uh, just getting home from uh, Walmart, having to go pee could be painful. I could imagine being strapped down in that. Cockpit. Well, I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, we flew those F-16s to Hawaii and Korea. Uh, my combat stories over Syria, all those flights were more than 10 hours sitting in one of those airplanes so i would get out of those planes with like eight or nine bags of of, of uh, urine yeah. wow. so it was it was wild times
0: we won't go too much into the bombing missions in korea or i'm sorry in uh syria but that had to be some really difficult airspace to navigate through and and there were so many foreign players involved and not all of them allies that 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 brief and debrief must have been just as bad as navigating the airspace
1: yeah the the rules of engagement for that theater were, were wild I, I if i talk to anybody about it I, I kind of compare it to what i think the wild west was like you know there was lots of everyone was kind of flying or, there were tons of airplanes airborne mm-hmm. everyone's armed uh with weapons mm-hmm. and sometimes you could you didn't know who the plane was or you didn't really know what their intention was so it's, you imagine you're riding up on a horse uh, in the middle of the wild west and you're like oh, i don't think he wants to shoot me but i know he's got a gun and i've got a gun and so you're like always kind of ready uh to to see what's going to happen but mm-hmm. you know, i mean the russians were flying the iranians were flying the syrians were flying the turks were flying it was yeah. uh it was a congested airspace uh, and when you're in an f-22 you know the last thing you want to do is be the guy who makes the mistake in that plane you know that's kind of the more public facing airplane you know uh, america's right. pride and joy so yeah, yeah it was yeah, a very stressful so. time but um it was interesting
0: that that's that's we're gonna back up because we know you flew the f-16 for the lobos but you ended your air force time flying the f-22 how did that happen
1: yeah reserve squadron in florida just sent out an email saying hey we're looking for a young guy lieutenant or captain doesn't even need to be a flight lead um to be a young uh person in their reserve squadron that they didn't have any young guys really uh and so i went up to the, my boss the lobos and i was like hey man uh you guys they actually sent they forwarded it out to all of us and i was like i didn't even know i could leave the guard unit you know uh, i don't want to be a guy that uh is a deserter or <laughs> anything like that like a twitter oh, huh? man. yeah but, but at the same time i'd love to fly the f-22 in florida like that sounds amazing he's like he's like my commander at that time was like yeah man if i I was in your shoes i would be doing the same thing so we we bless no
0: no heart no hard feelings
1: no no i'm still good friends with a lot of them yeah Mm -hmm. um so they understood it was a great opportunity for my career and uh so that's what i went
0: there there are no two-seater f-22 so your first flight's a solo flight
1: yeah yeah yeah, they used to do, um, three or four flights in an F-16 for, for the new guys, you know, the guys who went from T-38 to F-22, they would do two or three in an F-16 to get kind of used to it with someone in the backseat. But now they don't even do that. They just, uh, you get your 13 or so simulator rides and then, um, you're, you're good to go. It's honestly not that hard of an airplane to land. It's, it's a lot bigger, you know, it's, it's 70 or 80,000 pounds. It's a lot bigger than the F-16. Like it just is a solid built airplane and, uh, you know, the HUD and the flight path marker, it's not too, too, too bad.
0: No. And it can do some crazy maneuvers. It's got thrust vectoring, very powerful motors on that thing. That's right. Um, a typical cruise at 60,000 feet supersonic without
1: afterburner. Okay. No, we we wouldn't typically cruise there, but we could do hmm. it. Uh, hmm. So, yeah. Did,
0: yeah. Can you hear the air? I mean, you're, you're, you've got a helmet on and, not, and this could apply to the F-16, the, the F-16, the F-22, but can you hear the air rushing over the canopy?
1: Yeah. I mean, most, you know, to include airliners, most of the noise that you're hearing, I think, is is air rush. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're down low, going faster, it gets loud. Uh, up higher, it gets quieter because there's a lot less air density. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could hear it the faster you're going. But even doing Mach 2 at 60,000 feet, the air is so thin up there. I, I don't recall the noise. You know, I don't mm-hmm. remember that standing out. I remember standing out that if you look up, it's black instead of blue. At uh, sixty seven, sixty thousand feet, and um, you can start. To, you can see the curvature of the Earth pretty well uh, at that height. But I don't remember sound being a thing.
0: No, no flat Earther F twenty two pilots out there. I imagine.
1: No, I don't think there are. Uh, yeah, we'll have to dispel that. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right.
0: That'll be for somebody else's podcast. That's
2: right.
0: <laughs> but what what was uh, um, as we we're, we're getting we're getting near the uh, end of the hour, but. Uh, Uh, the book combat ready lessons learned in the journey to fighter pilot and 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 i alluded to this that these lessons apply to a lot of different things not always not specifically to fighter pilot but um it it, for your first book and i've read a lot of books but it, it was really laid out well and were you documenting your 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 journey as you were going through the journey
1: yeah basically the first week of training i had so many people reach out to me saying hey what happened what was i think it was even just like my medical exam you know people are just curious about the air force or what the military was like and they were excited mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. and i hate to repeat myself and okay. uh <laughs> so i was like well there's no way i can keep telling everyone these stories so every sunday for three years i wrote a quick summary to my family and friends and uh and at the end, I had I think 180 thousand words of this is wow. the journey, and so it took me two or three more years to edit it down to that. The book probably would have been three times as long with everything mm-hmm. that I said, but um, I willed it down to what I thought was interesting.
0: So. Well, it, it's a easy. It's a 255 page book. It, it's a it's a easy read. It's a good read. Um, and you've included some of the photographs that were taken. You know, these aren't stock footage, but these are actual photographs of you. Mm-hmm. Your first takeoff in the F twenty two you're uh returning from a training mission with three other F16s uh and when you guys deployed to Korea d- did you go to Osan when you d- made that deployment or where did you go we were we went to Kunsan Kunsan oh, okay yeah. mm-hmm. but uh it's a different air force over there isn't it
1: that's right yeah i was glad i got to see kunsan uh, for yeah. those who don't know kunsan's kind of like they always say the last bastion of real fighter pilot you know mm-hmm. shenanigans and fun and yeah it was a it was a fun place
0: Ah, awesome. Yeah, uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, you, you, so you, you did your time in the Air Force and you mentioned that you are now an airline pilot for Delta flying 767s. Mm-hmm. Is that, yes. um, is that, uh, do you get to pick the airframe you fly when you become an airline pilot or do they uh, tell you look. what they need and this is what's available?
1: Uh, the whole system is seniority based so based on when you're hired but at this stage uh, i could pick any plane that i wanted to go fly whether you're a captain or a first officer depends on on your time at the company and what plane but uh yeah i, I chose this when i like to live in i live in new york city and uh it flies to europe a lot i like europe or buenos aires or honolulu uh, so it's the long flights the easy ones you know um, mm-hmm. we get paid by the minute in the airline industry and so uh, it's a lot easier to cruise for eight hours getting paid the same minute than it is doing a bunch of work around the United States. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Good for you. What, and the wine uh, tastes better over there. The what? Yeah. And the wine and the beer
1: tastes better over there.
0: Uh, yeah, I was stationed in Germany. I I was actually in the army, but uh, yeah, the beer was dead. And it was room temperature most of the time. That's right. That's well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but uh, what... For some pilots, they they choose to fly for FedEx or UPS or or Omega or whatever, um, because they just prefer to fly cargo. Is there any turnoffs about flying for FedEx or cargo jets in particular?
1: Uh, Well, as we record this, that industry is not doing well at all, and they're not hiring pilots and they're getting rid of them. So you always want hiring going on because it helps your seniority and that helps your life. Um, Mm -hmm. The other turnoffs... I always said, no, just there's a lot of behind the clock flying, meaning overnight, you know, a lot of, a lot of shipping gets done during the middle of the night. It does. Um, and then the, the last thing is I just love traveling. So, uh, the, the travel benefits of flying at Delta, you know, I can look for open seats and and fly around the world. Whereas UPS and FedEx, they don't have that quite an arrangement like Delta does. Um, mm-hmm. so, can, um, yeah, um, kind of, is
0: there a high mix of prior service in Delta?
1: yeah there is we were we were definitely before i don't know what the mix is honestly if, if you told me 50 50 i'd probably believe you um okay it's I, I could be off. I, i'm guessing though yeah oh, okay <laughs> yeah. well
0: you could always tell your friends that you were on the flying dutchman podcast and that that'll, that'll actually aid in your seniority essentially. Yeah. but um
1: i can always one-up them in a conversation now
0: yeah you can yeah. Yeah. but uh you you uh you've written your first book but you are also writing children's books. Is that-
1: yeah. I've got, uh, I mean, when Can you're an airline about- pilot and you got a lot of free time on your hand generally. Uh-huh. Uh, and so Can we talk uh, about that? Yeah. Yeah. My nephews, I got three nephews and okay. uh, I got so tired of hearing them say how cool trains and trucks and dinosaurs were. And I was like, you know, there's just not any good propaganda out there for cool airplanes. So. If there's not any, there must be a, a need for it. So uh, I wrote The Adventures of Aero Squad. And so I go through Robbie Raptor, you know, and you go through each. I, I take each plane and apply its identity in the real Air Force. And in fact, all my buddies uh, typically laugh about it. You know, the, the F 22, it's a stealthy fighter jet, so its friends don't notice him. And so how is, you know, <laughs> the F 16, uh, it tries, you know, tries to do everything, can't really focus on anything. And so it, <laughs> it, it, it really wants. He really wants to be a member of the Thunder Chickens, uh, and so uh, you know well, you need to learn well, to work hard and focus. Um, I, I, Pedro Panther, Pedro Panther is based on the F thirty five. That one's about to come out, but uh, uh, that plane's a little. We make fun of it because it looks a little chunky. Oh, and I, so I, uh, it's got body image issues, and that's
0: yeah, do, do they not refer to the F thirty five as Pregnant Amy in the Air Force? Have you heard that expression? Uh, it's
1: Fat Amy, is what I'm, I'm aware of. Oh, the the nickname is fat Amy, from what I'm aware of. Yeah, Yeah, that's not great. (laughs) Yeah, that we won't find that in the children's
0: book. But uh, which reminds me, is I'm no, no, it's uh, I'm I'm writing a book called Combat Air Combat Aircraft Rehab. (laughs) That's a joke, but nice, there you go. Yeah, the A (laughs) 10s take out the garbage, man. But anyway, where where can we find the children's books?
1: Exactly.
0: Where where would we find the children's books in Europe? Uh, they're on Amazon.
1: Yeah, if you look up. Yeah, they're all on Amazon. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, uh-huh. if you search my name, Taylor Fox, they'll come up or Robbie Raptor, Aero Squad, or whatever, but uh, they're there.
0: So, well, well, here on out, you were known as Chop to the show. So, sounds I'm good. Gonna, yeah. So, in future <laughs> interviews, I might say, you know, when I was talking to Chop the other day, and uh, but, yeah. uh, so we're about at that hour mark now and this being my first episode i've got a lot of learning to do but i can tell you that i so enjoyed the conversation and 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 likewise i i I definitely enjoyed the book and this is going on my bookshelf and um so is there anything you want to close out with and after after we're done recording, we we have a conversation that we're that we're going to have just kind of close things out on a personal note and stuff. But um, anything you want to leave the audience Sounds with, good. or there there's individuals out there that that, that want to be a pilot, and not maybe not necessarily a fighter pilot. Uh, maybe some just want to get a private pilot's license. Maybe some of them, you know, for me, if I was to ever go that route, I the B fifty two is is my favorite. But is there any just advice for? young people out there, men and women that might want to fly one day.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it has been a wonderful profession for my life um, from when I was a kid to just cruising around. And it's just a, you see amazing and beautiful things to um, you know, it pays the bills very well right now and gives a nice quality of life. Um, yep. The journey through the air force is the most rewarding one I'll ever have. You know, that, that camaraderie with my friends. If I got married tomorrow, every one of the groomsmen would be an air force buddy, you know, that, that trust and bond that you get to experience there and you get to see and do things, um, uh, unlike the, anything else I've experienced. So anyone who's thinking about going on the path, uh, especially the air force path, th- the book was written for you, honestly, like that's, that's as close as it's going to get to what, uh, I don't really hold back on pros and cons, but as you'll read, uh, most of them are pros, you know, uh, yeah. it's mostly good. You're, uh, you're so right I, I, I uh, jump on yeah. board and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it spells it out. Um, and, I, and the guard way, I think, is probably the best way for lowest risk. So,
0: I, I uh, agree. And it and yeah, stands out is prep. A lot of prep.
1: Prep yeah. before a yeah, flight,
0: yeah. prep before a test. Um, sometimes that means you're not going to go hang out with the bros on a Saturday night because you're going to prep. You're going to be very prepared. Preparation. Yeah, that's. Yeah that's something yeah. that definitely stands out yeah that's
1: the, the thing yeah. i've really realized lately even working on other projects in my life just like once i was truly passionate about being a fighter pilot like everything else kind of falls off you know like everything the prioritization there become became very clear and discipline and determination after that uh is going to help you help you get to get whatever you're shooting for it doesn't matter if it's a pilot or not but uh mm-hmm. exactly that was that was my big takeaway from that whole experience yeah
0: so oh very cool anyway yeah well, we'll say goodbye to our audience and thank you guys, for, gals, for sticking with us for this first episode of the Flying Dutchman podcast. There will be others coming up. And if there are any, uh, anybody would like to be on the show, you could reach out to me. I have a YouTube channel as well. And Dutch at FlyingDutchmanPodcast.com website is my email address. Uh, oh, actually, the website is. Being built and and i'm trying to make this successful fun and share my passion for aviation and i appreciate chop being on my channel my first guest which enters him into the lightning round to win a free sticker all right you guys enough playing around thank you again for being on the show chop and thank my audience for participating and hit that like button oh wait that's youtube right all right go have fun stay hydrated and eat right.